You are now doing less with John and Jeff. Welcome back. This week, I think that it will be nice to take a break from talking about economics, take a break from talking about finance and the markets, just talk about uh, something else for... Obviously, I'm just kidding. This has been the craziest week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this has been the craziest week yet since we've started recording this podcast. This is why we created a podcast, in my opinion, to talk about events like that occurred this past week. Um, off the bat, the emergency F Federal Reserve meeting, an emergency Federal Reserve rate cut um, is you know, that we haven't seen in 10 years. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, we, we got a lot of, we got a lot of juicy stuff to talk about and we, <clears throat> and I hope the followers are, are ready for it. Hope, hopefully you guys are anticipating some good conversation. Uh, what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I think we might have to change the name of the podcast to do more though. Cause you started taking notes for the podcast and, uh, I, yeah, can't, I, read some. <laughs> I can't in good confidence, keep the name do less while you're doing all this prep work. <laughs> this actually isn't the first time I've taken jotted down some notes to, uh, to talk about, but, um, let's start calling it do less with Jeff and do more with John. <laughs> okay. All right. I see how, I see how it is. Um, I actually, now I'm looking at my notes. I have two notes, so <laughs> it's too many. My, my two notes so far is fed wants you in stocks was my one note to talk about. Fed wants and then, you. Yes. <laughs> and then lowest 10 year yield ever, um, were my two notes that I was going to write more, but I never got to it. So let's start off with. Let's actually go in reverse order. So the 10-year yield, it's actually the whole yield curve, really. Um, so just real quick, the in the past week, uh, maybe a little bit more than a week, but bonds have been going way down in yield, which means our price has been going way up. Uh, there's massive amounts of money going into bonds. I think that should be part... Partly the focus of this episode, just talk about the the bubble in bonds, how much bond prices are inflated um, with artificial demand and excess money pouring into bonds. But the, as mentioned in the note, the 10-year yield closed the day. Today we were recording March 5th, 2020. The 10-year the yield closed at a 0.915%. Uh, that's the lowest close ever, if I'm not mistaken. But that's not to mention, this is actually recording us a, a little after 9 p.m. Uh, the 10-year Treasury note has proceeded to fall at an additional 0.07% to be at 0.84%. So this is the lowest yield on the 10-year Treasury note that has ever been offered, at least in the last hundred. Years. Well, yeah, I think it's. I think it's safe to say this is I the lowest ever. ever. Yeah, even in like the great De after the Great Depression, you could still get like a two percent yield on a ten year. If you lend your money to the government for ten years, you say, "Here you go." <laughs> <laughs> right now, they are they are offering 084 percent. Um, on that money, which well, is crazy. I mean, the government's offering more, but the the price you have to market. buy it at, essentially the yield comes out to be uh, 0.84%. Like, it, like the, the bond might say $100, right? And it'll, it might say, I don't know what it'll say on it, but it might say 1% on it. But the price of that bond has gone up to the point where it's like the bond now sells for a price such that 1% of the bond is now actually 0.84% of like the higher price. I don't know if I explained that well. <laughs> like the, yeah. the, the interest rate on the bond is not going to read point. 
eight for or whatever the market rate is, right? The interest rate on the bond is going to say like 2%. But the original price of the bond or like the price of the bond is going to like that you can buy it on the market for is going to be higher than what's on the bond. Uh, I see. Yeah. The Okay. The secondary market. Right. As opposed to the... Right. <clears throat> but this just... The point of this is this goes to show how much of a demand there has been for for bonds. Um, which... Is supposed to be the... It's the safest asset. It's the, it's the uh, risk-free yield, right? Right. So... As Neil, Neil Kashkari, uh, he said this about a week ago. He said that low yields are a statement to how confident investors are in the economy, <laughs> how comfortable they are with the, uh, or how confident, I think is the word he said, which is just kind of absurd in my opinion. Um, we don't have to get that into that too much, but uh, to say that, bond yields go down because investors are confident is a little bit um, missing the missing the point would you say uh, I mean I think it's just dumb <laughs> <laughs> like one like if you're if the investors yeah, are confident why would they be investing in an asset that's relatively safe and has such low yields like if if you're confident you're going to be investing in things that have really high yields and high risk because you're confident what kind of confident person hides their money under a mattress that's not a confident thing to do okay it does mean they're confident in the u.s government's ability ability to pay uh but that's not what he said um so he's wrong but (laughs) <laughs> you know the i i do think people are way overconfident in the u.s government's financial health uh to be lending your money to the u.s government uh, well earlier i made the distinction of that's not exactly what's going on but like essentially you're lending your money to the u.s government for 10 years to receive less than one percent interest each year okay and the U.S. Treasury uh, report, like the, uh, the fiscal report for each year, has stated that the U.S. Treasury is on an unsustainable fiscal path. It's, it's straight from the horse's mouth. They say this is unsustainable. We cannot sustain this. And nothing has been done. There's no plan in effect to change that. There's nothing... That would suggest we're going to veer from this path anytime soon. And yet still, people are making 10-year loans at the lowest rates in history. So that doesn't make any sense. But it starts to make sense when you realize this isn't a free market and the Federal Reserve is manipulating this market. And And it's not even just the Federal Reserve. It's like the central banks across the entire world are suppressing interest rates across the entire world. Like in Europe, bonds are already negative. So like they're ahead of us as far as the degeneracy game goes. <laughs> the degeneracy game. Yeah. Though in Europe, they're really confident. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought, you were going to say, and this is something you've said to me before, um, or it's something, I mean, we've talked about, a lot of people talk about it, I think, but this fall in yields of bonds so far below the inflation target is just, it speaks, it speaks so loudly to the fact that people don't think that there will be inflation or that... Um, when people are predicting, you know, less demand, then you can predict like less inflation. So people think that there's going to be like this uh, kind of 
recessionary, like a recession. In a recession, there can be like deflationary mm -hmm. forces. So if you if you're fearing a recession and you think inflation is going to be super low, then you may be willing to have your money in a, lo a very low yielding um, asset. But the, this comment that uh, investor confidence is what's driving yields down. Well, it's like if investors are confident, then aren't you saying that they're confident that inf there's going to be inflation in right. inflationary forces? Uh, that's, that's just... Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like an oxymoron, <laughs> yeah. Um, like confident in what? <laughs> like, right. Like the only thing that could be confident in is the financial health of the U.S. government. And that's, like I said, not a good idea either. Yeah. But it's... Um, I think what really they're confident in is that the fed will cut rates they're really just playing the fed so like mm -hmm. you buy if you buy bonds right and then the fed changes they lower they cut interest rates well then the next round of bonds are going to have lower uh yields by default on them so your bonds that you're holding are going to go up in price to match them so you're, you're essentially what people are doing is they're not holding these bonds to maturity. They're not buying a 10-year bond and sitting it on, sitting on it for 10 years. What they're doing is they're buying the 10-year bond. They're expecting interest rates to go lower, and then the price of the bond goes up, and then they sell it. So it's not like right. they're. It's not like they actually want the bond. They're just speculating that the bond is going to go up in price, and so far that's been true. But what happens when that's not? Like there's a there's a limit to how low yields can go and people will still buy them. I don't know where it is, but it exists. Um, and sooner or later we'll hit that. And there's a long way to go back down if we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you could say like a 0.8, whatever I said, 0.86% yielding bond. Um, could seem a little bit of absurd. Um, but to think that that would go down even further, okay, <laughs> risky. Then it's a zero, a zero percent yielding bond, okay. That's cra I mean, that's crazy talk. You're yeah. literally not doing anything with your money. You're just transferring certain claims for other claims. Like <laughs> you're, you're not doing anything. Right. It's just like, oh, it can go down further, okay. It happened in Europe, okay, fine. Go, so let's say it goes down to negative one percent. It's like. How can you even wrap your head around that? That just doesn't make any sense. You can try to explain. I've seen people try to explain it. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Why you would want less money tomorrow than you have today, and then it and then say, oh, it'll go down even more than that. It'll go down to negative three. It's just like at that point, there's no explaining it. You're gonna say, people are gonna say, this is absolutely. I'm not saying negative three is the the point. I'm saying right. it should be any point along those lines. It's just people kicking the can down the road and saying. Oh, someone else will, you know, someone else will buy it for a little bit lower. <laughs> People will still try to explain. It's just like, it's already at a point where it's, the, the Fed is already targeting an inflation that's neutralizing and negating these <laughs> bond offerings. Right. right? Like, if yeah, the, are, the Fed's inflation target is 2%. So you're literally losing your money if you buy these things on paper. Yeah, it's already, it's already negative. These, these yields are already negative in real terms. Um, so talking about, going so it's just pretty crazy it's just a crazy phenomenon so let's start talking about what is causing this phenomenon actually right now um i think it's well so it's certainly a flight to safety so <clears throat> last week or last episode we talked about the coronavirus how it's starting to impact markets the bernie sanders polling how it's impacting markets which at the time was was high he was you know, he had a relatively high chance. He was over, he was over Biden at the time. Mm -hmm. um, since that episode, it's actually flipped. Super Tuesday occurred. Biden is now ahead of Bernie Sanders, um, and so put that aside for a second. But the coronavirus is an existential threat to economic forces, societal forces you know, communities, businesses will see this virus and it'll be devastating to businesses and, uh, you know, financial systems. So there's this, 
the flight to safety, flight out of risky assets, stocks, into bonds, which are the safer assets, which is kind of just like a, almost like an algorithm, algorithmic dumb button you push. It's like, <laughs> if I see that, if I see a current situation is good and will continue to be good, you know, press buy stocks, just press that button <laughs> and sell bonds or whatever. Uh, if I think that it's going to be risky, I think that certain financial uh, processes, establishments, I don't know what you want to call them, but if I think that there's any risk to that process, you hit the other button, which is sell stocks and buy bonds. So I think a lot of the other button has been hit in the last week to see these yields. I mean, the, the yield on the 10-year, uh, I have that number a year ago, right? was 800 <laughs> 2.691 so that's a year ago um so it's got it's gone down and like i said it's all-time low the whole yield curve the two-year note the 10-year note the 30-year note 30-year note is 1.5 percent they're all just absurdly low all-time lows um so it's just this. It's just investors are not. I don't think that there's a lot of logic. Like we're trying to explain the logical aspect of buying a a ten year treasury note that yields point eight four percent. Like you might as well just hold just, cash. Like what the heck, point eight four percent? Why why give someone your money for ten years if they're if they're gonna give you point eight four percent a year? Like that's it's like nothing. It's just like, yeah. you know, you might as well have the cash that you can like, it's liquid. You can do whatever you want with it. It's like, it's like, well, why not have that? <laughs> just makes right. no sense. I heard a joke um, that's, that's pretty, it's, it kind of frames the irony of it. It says, um, in, in these times, you want to buy stocks for the dividend and you buy bonds for the appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's Which funny. Is the, it's the exact opposite, you know. You're buying stocks for... The dividend yield on the S&P 500, I think right now, is like 1.3. Yeah, it's higher than, so it's like, than the bond yield, it's like which is absurd. The whole bond curve is... Um, the whole yield curve is below that. So it's like the safe asset is becoming... Um, Dividends. By nature, like the risky, right. by nature, the riskier uh, asset, which is stocks. Well, stocks. I also think there's just like a ton of momentum behind, like you said, it's like this algorithm where it's like, oh, stocks bad, buy bonds. You know, it's right. like there's so much momentum behind that idea. And for a long enough time period, bonds were trading in a range where that was not an unreasonable thing to do. But like, Essentially, one of the assumptions in that algorithm where it's like stocks bad, buy bonds, is that bonds are a good enough investment. Mm -hmm. But it's like that yeah. algorithm fundamentally breaks if the bonds are no longer inherently, intrinsically a good investment. And they're no longer intrinsically a good investment. It's, it's pure speculation at this point that mm -hmm. you'll be able to get a return on these things because on paper the thing is losing you money <laughs> right so let's start talking about stocks so stocks we mentioned as of last podcast they were down like 12 percent on the week the weekly loss was like 12 percent. that's when we were talking about the causes of that drop we attributed to uh coronavirus which we said certainly that's you know you can almost definitely say that's at least one of the major factors for that sell-off. Um, Sanders rise in the polls. Um, and then, so as of this week, so on Monday, um, the stock market was down... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'll delete that. All right, so the, as of this week, on Monday, right... Monday comes and there's a five percent up day. So like so half of the the losses basically are 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 regained. Now what was the cause of this? So this is what are, what are the cause? So if you're reading on 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 Twitter, I mean 
people are trying to attribute this to everything. I mean, some people attribute it to, oh, Biden was going down in the polls. Some people are saying, oh, the coronavirus isn't that much of a threat. There's a whole, you know, I mean, everybody that's got a opinions putting their uh, opinion out there onto the onto Yeah, the and I don't know. It's, I feel like very often it's not even what the headline says. Like, you might think it is, but, you, like, a lot of people don't necessarily pay attention to, like, you know, the global money supply and, like, you know, like what's going on in the repo market and things like that. Like right. there's probably a lot of stuff that like institutional people are paying close attention to and like their algorithms follow that not necessarily like the headlines are paying attention to. And so, you know, like when we say, oh, the market dropped because it was scared of coronavirus, it's like maybe, but maybe that's not why. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I couldn't agree more. I always, I always like liken it to like if you're reading a book and you have someone sit next to you like telling you why the author wrote every sentence <laughs> as you read it. It's like you read a sentence and then they tell you, oh, the author did that. The author <laughs> said that because they want to set something up for later. And it's like, did you read this book before? No, I've never read it. It's like, do you know how it ends? No, I don't know how it ends. It's just like, okay, well, <laughs> how do you know like... It's like, well, I agree that you could draw that conclusion from reading that sentence at in chapter one. <laughs> but like trying to attribute like the author's intentions after reading a single sentence in like the first chapter, it's like you got to read the whole book before. <laughs> That's why like oftentimes, you know, look, the hindsight is actually the really important. So paying too much attention to these economic journalists, financial pundits, I think they got a lot, I think they get a lot wrong. Yeah, hindsight is often what you should pay attention to in the markets and not really paying attention to the up to the minute. <laughs> it's literally up to the minute. Yeah, I mean, they're, like, they're it's just like when people say, oh, that day, this is what happened. It's like, they don't know that. You don't you know, know. Like, you don't know. Like the past yeah. week, you can be pretty confident coronavirus had something to do with it. Because like it's affected global demand pretty significantly, especially for oil, which is like a big deal. But it's like day to day, you know. It's so hard to just be like, oh, yeah. this this is why. Because like even if just like a big, like if Google just had a really good earnings report, that can move the market, you know. So it's like, mm -hmm. like that's just one factor, and like it could be completely separate to everything else or like if google had a really bad earnings day you know like things like that it's like right. these things move markets or just like all sorts of stuff it's so many variables that it's just like just picking one and being like this is why the market did what it did it's like mm -hmm. well there's actually ten thousand more variables that you probably should consider as well so it's you know yeah all right, now I'm going to predict why the market moved the way it did on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> or not predict, explain. Uh, <laughs> because I do think I, I, I was pretty confident. I, I, I saw something, I follow a, a guy named Jim Bianco who, who tweeted something. And this is actually what I texted you, Jeff. On, it was Sunday night he tweeted something that no one else was tweeting. He was watching the futures markets for the Fed funds rate. Right, and he said, "This is there was a big move in the futures markets. Investors are predicting a fifty basis point cut by tomorrow morning, by Monday morning. You know, this is really substantial because the next meeting isn't until three weeks. Right. You know, this is calling for an emergency rate cut. And he tweeted this Sunday night, and I said, emergency rate cut that is un that, you know that's unheard of outside of a crisis. Right." So this is something, like, for him to tweet that, you know, that's definitely something to watch. So, and I, you know, I looked at the futures markets, and sure enough, investors were really pricing in an emergency rate cut Monday morning. Well, Monday morning comes, no cut, right? And I'm thinking, wow, what are investors going to do? Are they going to, you know, flee, like, without this, uh, without this, consolation someone uh, in the fed spilled the beans <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Either that or, yeah, it's, it's very likely that. Or I have a theory that just like investors know, they know that the Fed is trying to front run. They're trying to front run, they're trying to front run any like big movements. Mm-hmm. And the, the market knows that. So if they start a big movement, then the Fed is going to have to capitulate. Like the yeah, Fed is already capitulated. Like if, to like the- if investors see enough of a drop, then they'll start to buy in anticipation of a rate cut. And exactly. so like they're just anticipating that. Right. So if, if the futures for a rate cut increase and the market increases on that futures increase, or, and when I say the market, I mean the, like the stock market goes up, stocks go up. Then the Fed is going to see that, and they're going to say, "Well, we have to now cut rates, otherwise there's going to be a massive drop in the stock market." <laughs> right. So it's like the tail's wagging the dog. Um, well, I think in this example, I wouldn't say one causes the other. I think this is an example of non-linear causality, right? So it's like the Fed affects the market, and the market affects the Fed. They both affect each other's decisions. Uh, cause they're, they're just part of the same environment. And so like they, there's like a feedback loop there. And so it's like, you, you can't really, it's like, you can't attribute cause, right? Like you say, Oh, the market caused the fed to cut rates, but it's like, but the fed cut rates because of the market. So it's, or wait, I said that wrong, but it's like, you could say the fed or the market rallies when the, when the fed cuts rates, but it's like the market also caused the fed to cut the rates. So the market caused its own rally in a sense. So it's like, there's just like, you, you, there's no way to like make sense of it. Well, I would, no, well, so here's, I mean, you can bifurcate in this example because it was on the weekend. The markets were close. Like it was the weekend move that prompted the rally in the stock market, the weekend move in the futures market. Yeah, but I don't think that's necessarily true though because uh, like the Fed saw the 10% drop over that week and they people knew whether or not they're trading they still know the fed's gonna do something so it's like it's like people see this move in the market and they're like okay the fed's gonna do something and so that the feds yeah. and the fed does and then so the fed does something and so it's like it's like they're both interacting yeah, with each other it. you know what i'm saying and to, it wasn't just a five percent open right it, right is, is what you're saying it wasn't right. like as soon as the the futures had settled on an emergency right. rate cut, the stock market moved in exactly a seesaw kind right. of thing. But it was, uh, yeah, it was like slowly throughout the day, it was becoming more and more priced in that this emergency rate cut was going to come. Um, and so, yeah, okay, that's fine. But if you watched the things that I were watching, that I was watching... Um, this, the market was going up, which is t- typical of uh, anticipating a rate cut. The uh, dollar was going down, which rate cuts, s- similar effect. And gold was going up. So I think really w- the things that you would expect from a rate cut, you were seeing on Monday um, as if it was a certainty that it was going to happen. And then... And then there you have it. On Tuesday, it happened. You, the emergency rate cut did happen. They panicked. Exactly as, yeah, they panicked. They capitulated, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and um, and the funny thing is, on the rate cut news, obviously there was a short spike, but then the market sold off. I think it was a matter of uh, buying the rumor and selling the, selling the fact where, like I said, all of the investors that were recognizing that this consensus is now that there's going to be an emergency rate cut started to buy the market and then when there actually was an emergency rate cut all the people that bought up to that point realized how many new buyers there would be on this news right because that's what the news warrants and they said we've already bought the stock that we wanted to buy on this news right so now we're going to sell it to the next the next guy to be the bag holder (laughs) to make a quick profit. So that's how you get the buy the rumor, sell the fact kind of movements in the market. And the market was down to two and a half percent. Something like that. On Tuesday. 
And then Wednesday was back up 4%. And then today on Thursday, it was down like 4%. 4%. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so, moving a lot right now. It's like it's crazy volatility right now. It's crazy. Um, so the other thing, so we've mentioned bonds, we mentioned stocks. Uh, I wanted to mention the dollar. The dollar's had one or two up days in the past 30 days, like, uh, I, I got to double check the numbers, but it's been, it actually is probably not 30 days, probably like two, three weeks. I think February 12th, it peaked at like 90, the DXY peaked at like 98 something. It's been down like every day since that, which in my opinion is the anticipation of like a quantitative easing event or yeah. like a massive money printing event. I mean, um, like, Sooner or later, people are going to realize like the fin the financial health of the U.S. economy or U.S. not the U.S. economy, but the U.S. government is not sound. And in fact, the only thing keeping us from like insolvency is the Federal Reserve as the buyer of our bonds. And so, like the amount of money printing that's going to have have to happen to keep our government running. Like we're gonna start to see some serious inflation. Like if you look at so. if you look at Argentina, um, they're a lot more irresponsible than we are. But you know, like if you look at their final head, financial health, it's not like like leading up to their this past year. This past so this past year they had like in like 2019 they had an inflation rate of 60. percent Okay, that's insane. You know that that's you're losing over half your money if you put it in the bank. So like that's some serious stuff going on. But like I'm not going to say they're not more irresponsible than we are, but it's not like they're astronomically more irresponsible than we are. It's like you know, they might be twice as irresponsible, <laughs> but it's right. like that's not like <laughs> like I'm, my my point here is that that level of inflation is not like an impossibility for us if we don't. It's clean not a up matter of pol It's not a matter of policy difference. It's a matter matter of scale different, like a magnitude right. difference at this point. Right. We're doing what they're doing. We're just doing it on a small scale for now. Right. For it's, now. Yeah. For now. And so, like, like I think they increased their money supply by like three hundred percent or something crazy. Um, but you know, we're doing. Like if we start doing quantitative easing, same thing's gonna happen to us. Like we're gonna start increasing our money supply at at those levels. We're already, like the Fed is already doing that in terms of the repo market. They're printing like, you know, almost eighty billion dollars a day or something crazy right now. It's like it's a lot of money being mm -hmm. printed, and it's not enough. Like a lot of the, the bids in the repo market to the Fed are going unfilled. So they're like printing all this money and the market, the repo market still wants more. So it's yeah. like, we're in a bit of a pickle here. And we're, the fact that people expect inflation to remain low, I just, I can't understand that opinion. I think part of it is like recessionary fears, right? So people go, oh, coronavirus, it drops oil demand, right? So that lower price of oil, you know, that causes deflation. That makes sense. But... Also, the majority of the world's, uh, you know, fossil fuel production, not necessarily just oil, but like natural gas, which is another big fossil, actually comes from the United States now uh, in the, it's called the shale uh, region. It's like, like the Pennsylvania region of the U.S. Um, and they, what they do is um, called fracking. You probably heard of fracking, but it's uh, they essentially are pulling uh, oil out of the ground through this like new technology called fracking, and it's a more expensive way to get oil. Like in Saudi Arabia, the oil just kind of flows out of the ground. Like you just you just dig a hole and the oil comes out. It's like much cheaper to get the oil, <laughs> but when oil is you know fifty sixty dollars a barrel, suddenly the fracking becomes profitable. But if you have the coronavirus happening, which is dropping oil prices down to, you know, $40, suddenly these shale players are going to have to exit the game. That's going to drop production. 
And what happens when production drops? The price goes back up. So there is like a sort of floor to the price around $50. I know it's lower than that right now, but it's my point is it's it shouldn't last very long because sooner or later people producing oil in the shale fields are going to have to drop out and that's going to start sending the price back up. So there is a sort of floor to deflation because yes, at first you know, if the supply lines are running like they're currently running and demand falls, then yes, prices drop. We know supply and demand. But supply soon enough will follow, right? If people are anticipating lower demand, they're going to close up shop. They're going to make layoffs. They're going to you know, do what they need to do to prepare for the lack of demand. And so that's going to lower supply. And then prices are going to stay the same, if not even increase, especially in the face of all the money supply manipulations coming from central banks. So these really low inflation expectations, I think, are pretty not only misguided, but just incredibly risky to be betting on low inflation right now. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I would say, um, yeah, the Federal Reserve, which is the main actor in inflation, in the US wants anyway. higher inflation. It, for the U.S. dollar, yeah, wants higher inflation, <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's like everyone's anticipating. No, no, they can't do it. They can't. <laughs> they can't. They won't be it. able to. It's like at a certain point, I think the reason. So people say, to up to date, we haven't seen, um, we haven't seen inflation, mm-hmm. and they've done all this money printing, four and a half trillion, I guess you could say, uh, in total, most of which after the two thousand eight great financial crisis um how come there hasn't been rampant inflation and some say that there has been you know i would say that the price increase in the stock market over that time is a you know stocks are something you can buy Mm -hmm. their prices have been going up so that's kind of a signal of inflation um, inflation isn't always unilaterally applied to everything you can buy, right. uh, as m- some economists may assume in their models and in their ability to calculate a, a single number, as we've s- spoken to on previous podcasts. When you formulate a single number for inflation that assumes that dollars or, or the currency are the velocity in every single market that the currency is being used as a medium of exchange in is you know remains the same over time which is definitely not the case it's like right. one of the most absurd assumptions you can make in a market uh the the money that was printed if that money is only applied is only given to a certain sector that's using that money to put into stocks for example mm-hmm. then the velocity of money in the rest of the economy is unchanged or maybe decreased almost mm-hmm. uh to maintain or you know have a have a kind of a low price increase in other you know sectors and other other prices um so all i'm saying is if there's like a shift in that allocation if for example something like uh, a universal basic income was applied where the printed money goes directly into the pockets of americans um maybe that money doesn't go into stocks That money goes into bread <laughs> or goes into uh bids up the price of a bus fare or a right. new car so uh you could see that price inflation that has been contained in the stock market um maybe leak out into the broad price right system and i would argue like many others uh not mainstream people but that actually the the real definition of inflation or what should be the real definition of inflation is expansion of the money supply. Like to me at the heart of what inflation is, it's the expansion of the money supply. And the increasing the increases in prices tend to be downwind of that root cause. Like to me the people who look at just the like the general price level or whatever as the measure of inflation, I think they're looking downstream of the actual important thing, which is the change in the money supply. And so what the Federal Reserve does is they've significantly grown the money supply, 
And that in itself is inflation. And then Mm -hmm. what has the inflation done? Well, it's driven up increases in prices of the stock market in bonds. You know, it hasn't caused increases in the prices of like food and things like that. But that doesn't mean like, you know, stockholders and bondholders just get like free money. That's not how it works, right? Essentially, the the way you can think about it is, right, so by, you know, intervening in the um, money supply, what the Fed has done is they've lowered interest rates. And so this, the people who are saving and earning money through interest essentially are earning less than they otherwise would have. And the people who have their money in riskier stuff like stocks are earning more than they otherwise would have. So essentially at the end of the day, all that's happened is a wealth transfer from generally what is the lower half of income earners to the upper half. And that's all they've been doing. And I think they're oblivious to this. I don't think they're intentionally doing that, but it's like in effect, that's what they've done is just a wealth transfer from the lower half of Americans (laughs) to the upper half of Americans by doing what they're doing. So you've brought me to my other bullet point. <laughs> the Fed wants you to buy stocks. <laughs> um, the, the policies um, from the Fed, it's no longer a it's no longer ambiguous. Up to this point, you could say, oh, the Fed's actions have been driven by uh, metrics from the economy, data from the economy. They want, you know, this or that unemployment to be higher or <laughs> unemployment to be lower. They want um, businesses to have higher earnings, what have you, mm-hmm. right? You could you could make these arguments so you're blue in the face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this week, though, I I'd say is a massive turning point in the in those arguments. This week, we've seen an emergency rate cut from the Fed with no economic data release. <laughs> uh, the only significant change is the, I wouldn't say the, the news about the coronavirus, which, I mean, people right, will even that the reason. Isn't even like that, that was around for the three, four months. Right. Um, so the coronavirus, I mean, the first, de- I guess you could say the first death, the first two deaths, I think, of the coronavirus in the U.S., but um, uh, that's not not economic, you know, that's not an economic indicator. Um, The only other thing is the massive drop in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And so the Fed has acted to comfort the market and to help the stocks not go down, which is like what they say they don't do, but I think it's clear now that the debate is over. I think we can say uh, the Fed wants the stock market to go up. They want you to buy stocks. They are ha- they're okay with bond prices to go down, which makes stocks relatively more attractive. They want Americans to be in stocks, investing stocks, buying stocks. Um, they need it. <laughs> they need it to to keep going up. The stock market to keep going up. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if this is. I don't, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I don't know if they have some sort of strange rationalization for the whole thing or they, they believe in the wealth effect is it very important for spending and all that. I, I honestly can't speak to it, but it's like there's a chance that they realize that there's many institutions that essentially collapse when the stock market collapses. And we saw this in 2008. It's like we've basically made this upside down pyramid uh, for a lot of things that where the bottom the bottom of the that upside down pyramid is like the stock market, right? Like everything else like rests on top of it. And so if the stock market collapses, other things start to collapse. And that's what happened to like yeah, you know, it just it's it's so like I guess what they're what could be one of their motivations is just to prevent like a financial crisis again. Uh, but I, I think it's futile and you're like, you're really starting. I think 
we're really starting to see the effects of this bad policy taking shape. Like the amount of people that are just frustrated with, you know, their standard of living, they feel like it just isn't increasing like as much as they feel it should. Like just there's so many people out there who feel like they're just, their lives are just not improving the way they used to. And they're right. And the reason for that, but they're not, they're all looking in the wrong place. It's like, you know, they think Trump's going to help them. They think Bernie's going to help them. That's not like they can't do any. They have no tools to help these people. The reality is, is the Fed is transferring wealth from the average person to the wealthy. It's like there, there's always going to be inequality. Don't get me wrong. If we didn't have a Federal Reserve, there's still going to be inequality. But the Fed, that's not the point. Inequality is not the point. The problem is the, the wealth transfer. It's the fact that wealth is actually being siphoned from one group of people and going to another. Mm-hmm. That's the real problem here. And people, like, they can feel it, but they're just, they're not noticing who's doing it. And, and my point is, it's just going to get worse and worse as the Fed gets more and more irresponsible. Like, I think two, 2008 was, like, really a turning point in, like, like public policy, just, like, the way people looked at politics, like, I, it just really started to divide us, I think, after 2008. Um, and it's just gotten worse and worse. And, like, if the Fed does another round of quantitative easing in the face of another financial crisis, like, and it bails out all the, you know, people who are taking risky stuff and, like, you know, going for the massive returns and they all get bailed out at the cost of everyone else, it's, like, it's... Uh, it's going to be bad. Like people are going to be furious and hopefully it can waken people up to like the federal reserve. Maybe more people will start paying attention, but like mm-hmm. this institution is, is just doing <laughs> so much bad in our society yeah. right now. Right. I think you really have to divorce the idea of the feds, like omnipotence or like all knowing nature <laughs> from their actions. Like you have to just look at the motives. You have to just mm-hmm. think really hard. Okay. The coronavirus, right. Is proposing this existential risk to financial safety. It's like the rate cuts do, n- do nothing for that. You have <laughs> to just, you have to just start off of that. Rate cuts. Wait, yeah. Wait, let me just say one thing about this. Cause we haven't <laughs> even brought up how, how absurd on its face it is to cut interest rates to fight coronavirus. <laughs> like people, the reason the, econ- the global economy is shrinking is because people aren't going out of their homes. They're just yeah. locking themselves up in their homes and doing nothing. They're not going to school. They're not going to work. That's why the economy is shrinking because there's a virus. If you just start even if you just printed the money and handed it to people, like some governments have done, I think Hong Kong did this. Hong they just gave it, trying it. Yeah, they just gave everyone 10 grand. Guess what people still aren't doing? Going outside, going to work. <laughs> so giving yeah. people 10 grand doesn't do anything. It doesn't cure the virus. It doesn't stop. It literally does not do anything. All that money is going to do is when the virus is like no longer an issue, then people are going to go out and spend it. But guess what? They haven't been making anything while the virus is going around. So you're just going to have a huge spike in inflation as soon as people get out yeah. and huge shortages. So it's like, it literally does nothing to alleviate the problem. So like, I feel like we should have started with that earlier, but it's like, you know, this, this <laughs> yeah. rate cut, this, these monetary policies going to do nothing in the face of a virus. Like that's like, what the heck is that going to do to solve that problem? Yeah. So, Call, call that futile. <laughs> I really think you should. I, th- I think it's reasonable to yeah. say like, there's no, there's no way a rate cut would measurably Im- help any actors trying to fight the the virus, anybody affected by the virus. Anybody, cheap money is not helping anybody involved. Right. right? Yeah. Cheap like money there's, helps. Sorry, there's no, there's no one out there who's like working on a virus, but they're like crap, my interest rates were just 0.5 too, too high. Right. You know, if only they were 0.5 lower, I would be able to have a vaccine ready to go and virus cured. Like that's, that doesn't exist. That's not, 
That's not yeah, what's happening. It's not. What it may do, well, a, a lower interest rate, will force people with, say, a high-yield savings or some kind of savings that's linked to short-term uh, lending, you know, short-term mm-hmm. ri- risk-free lending, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're yielding less <laughs> from their savings. Yeah. So it's forcing that those savings into the stock market. Yeah. So that leads me to my second point, which is the only other motivation is what have we seen? A you know, 12% drop in the stock market right. at the time of um, their probable, their or their decision-making for this uh, emergency rate cut. So it's just like, they are so, I'm, yeah, so you kind of mentioned, is there a reason why they want the market to always go up? I, I, I think certainly there is. I'm not going to, you know, maybe in a, another episode or uh, later on we can speculate all the reasons. I think there's a lot of reasons why they want the stock market to keep going up. Um, just kind of financial st- stability you can point to. But uh, I think that it, I think that's their, their, their loan acting point. That's what they're acting on. The stock market going down, we have to cut rates. You know, the coronavirus has made the stock market do- go down. We want the stock market to go back up, which is, I can't stress this enough, this is not what they're supposed to be doing. This <laughs> does not help the people that they are supposed to be helping. This is not help the financial system that they're supposed to be maintaining the you know safety and security of it's just i think it's just this blatant i think this week is the blatant uh end of the debate it's like what oh what are they acting upon are they acting upon you know good good reasons good economic driven philosophy policy it's like this week ends that debate in my mind yeah there's not it's they I've always thought that that's what they act upon, the stock market, mm-hmm. and here it is. Here's the proof this week. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. On a silver platter. I think I think this really is, does end the debate. Is like you cannot point to, like the the last rate cut they did was suspicious. It followed like a ten percent drop in the stock market. This one is like, you, it's so obvious. It's just so obvious yeah. at this point. That's it's so like obvious. there's really, you know. So if like someone, if you go, oh, what does the Federal Reserve do? Oh, they prop up the stock market. That's what they do. <laughs> like that's that's it. That's their you purpose. Go. You know, like that's yeah. you know, we just got to redefine what it is. And it's like, all right, there's just this thing that exists that's gonna steal <laughs> money from you to prop up the stock market. So it's yeah. like, okay, what do you do in the face of that? Well, the obviously thing, the obvious thing is to put money into stocks. But I think there are yeah. risks to that, unfortunately. Um, but right. just they knowing that, are. like. You know, their intention is to make stocks go up. It's just like, well, you know, it 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 gives some merit to putting your money into stocks because it. But the the question is, we we don't know how far they'll go to keep it propped up. Like if they'll go to any right. length, then yeah, put all your money in stocks. But there there's probably a limit, so I I wouldn't say that's necessarily. well. I wouldn't say that. I would say before they're. I would say before the the realistic limit of how much they can make the stock market go up mm-hmm. comes into play, I think the more prescient question is how much does the stock market go up actually real how much real oh, in, yield is in there? real terms. That's that's yeah, true. So. Like cuz if the Fed is starting to really just create lots of inflation to prop the stock market up, at some point they may actually be not like the stock market may actually be going down in real terms right um, so the perfect example of this again is did he did he start with argentina did he mention or yeah i mentioned argentina this? just a little yeah, bit argentina though. with a 60 percent inflation rate oh no i'm sorry this is venezuela it's a similar case though there's Venezuela's the infl- worst <laughs> Yeah, Venezuela's inflation is like two hundred percent or something. They had like two million percent inflation. Two million percent, in like okay. in one year. Is I mean, their stock market, the stock market was up like two thousand <laughs> percent. And so you say, oh, two thousand percent return on stock market. That's uh, I'm interested. <laughs> um, but if you're if you put the money in, and then you take the money out, and you've yielded two thousand percent return. But meanwhile, the cost of bread has gone up two million percent. <laughs> uh, 
you've you've lost a lot of money. You lost a you lost a lot of bread. (laughs) Yeah, right. You lost a lot of purchasing power. Exactly. So you've so that's the real question that the Fed's either not asking or they're comfortable that it's not happening because their quote unquote inflation is low. But it's not looking good. Um, yeah, and they also act like stagflation is impossible. They, yeah. even though like it's happened before, they just act like that's not it's it can't happen. But it's like I don't know. I think that's a very realistic pop- possibility. Is we enter recession, and the money supply is just increasing so much that we actually start to have stagflation. Yeah. Stagflation meaning res- like recession and inflation at the same time and that's like the most miserable miserable thing that can happen is those two things right so like at least in the great depression when you like you know the economy was shrinking the price of goods was going down as well so your purchasing power was increasing so like your savings were getting you more and more stuff the deeper you went into the depression so like like that at least was like a saving grace. But if mm-hmm. you're laid off and then your money's rapidly losing purchasing power, that's a hell of a situation to be in. It's like yeah. you have nothing right. to fall back on. It's just it's just a yeah. disaster case. Yeah, that is the worst. I've talked about this before on my Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, so let me just take a moment to say follow... JRchie14 is my Twitter. And uh, Jeff's Twitter is at Do Less Podcast. He's our social media correspondent. <laughs> um, but I've talked about this on my Twitter how gold, purchasing gold is a good inflation hedge. So um, gold has a lot of properties. We'll do an episode someday about gold and why it's kind of magical. Uh, you know, it's kind of this like mysterious element. And uh, if you buy gold, it tends to do well against inflation. It tends to, I mean, the 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 element itself, the rock itself, isn't changing. <laughs> so it's it's hard to like say that it's like it doesn't diminish. It doesn't like it doesn't you know increase in value, but it doesn't decrease in value in any way. Right. The properties that you can buy it. The properties it will offer you if you buy it today will remain if you buy it, you know, if you sell it in 10 years. So whatever the dollar was able, however much gold the dollar was able to buy in the past, mm-hmm. it's it should be, um, the, that same amount of gold should be kind of linked to whatever that amount of purchasing power from that dollar you were able to get in the past uh, in the in the future. So I right. think gold um, is a good inflation hedge. Yeah, I mean, so gold is a great inflation hedge against like the dollar, but gold itself is can be thought of as money. And so like the supply of gold does change over time. That I, I think is actually the less significant thing. But like if the supply of like goods and services drops, but the supply, the supply of gold likely will not, then there's not only inflation in the dollar, but there's also inflation in gold because there's the same amount of gold, but just fewer goods and services out there. So you probably still will lose some purchasing power if there's like a deep recession, even if you hold gold. But you're going to lose a lot less purchasing power than perhaps the currency if it's being inflated at a rapid pace, like we suspect it will be by the Federal Reserve. Um, so it's not to say like, you know, gold is just like this perfect investment and it's just like put all yeah. your wealth in gold. It's like, no, no th- yeah, it's, it's flawed. You know, there's, there's, there's reasons not to do that, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's pretty amazing element at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's always going to have like a floor value that it's never going to drop below. Because it's just like, I don't yeah. know, it's just, you know, it's just so de- so high cool. in demand. Right. Yeah. It's always been interesting to me in my whole, my whole life, you know, whenever I've learned about personal finance and investing, 
um, it's always there's always been a recommendation to you know five percent, you know, f- you know, two to five percent of your net worth allocated to gold, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, hmm, that's something, right? Um, and then yeah, now I realize I'm like, that's a there's a reason for that. There, it's it's not going away as a investment as a, a hedge for inflation, which is a super powerful force in a in a in economy as we will see. Um, in the, in, coming up in the future, so <laughs> so that so there. I think that's a good place to wrap up. Cool. Hopefully, the Fed does less stock watching. Yeah, does the Powell more. put? <laughs> yeah, the Powell's super put the leveraged Powell put. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, stonks only go up. So just buy. Yeah. S&P calls and you're guaranteed to make money. And sell puts. <laughs> yeah, sell puts. No, just kidding. It's fr- free profit. <laughs> Nothing we've said this episode is investment advice. Yeah. No, no. Do your I don't research. know what the legal disclaimer is, but please don't sue us. <laughs> <laughs>